Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today we are joined by Ari Mayrov. If you don't think you're familiar with Ari, you probably are. Ari runs NFL Update, or at MySportsUpdate on Twitter, uh, with nearly 400,000 followers. There's a good chance you already follow him. Uh, Ari's also the host of the My Sports Update football podcast or MS NFL podcast. Um, so make sure you go check that out when you have a chance. Uh, so right now, the date is February 4th. So much is going on in the football universe. Ari, how you doing? I'm doing great. You mentioned February 4th. We are a few days away from the Super Bowl. A crazy season is about to end. A season that many people doubted is about to come to an end. An incredible run for the NFL, for the Player Association, and then... Of course, as you all know, the offseason is going to be wild. So ready for it all. Yeah, it's really it's unbelievable that we got here because there were so many points of the season where, uh, especially early on, where it was in question how far it would go, if they'd be able to make it to the end. Uh, but we made it here and uh, very happy about that. So to uh, circle back into the Jets world, as this is um, a Jets-centered podcast, um, of course, plenty of things have gone on so far since the season ended. Uh, and we've, we've touched on most of them so far in this podcast. But uh, Ari, we, we wanted to get some of your thoughts on Deshaun Watson. So as of now, uh, there's still plenty of turmoil going on in Houston. Um, we've heard that the Jets and the Dolphins are front runners in this whole situation, uh, if he were to leave. Um, is there anything that you've heard or any opinions that you have on, you know, what's going to be the result of this Watson situation? Yeah, you know, this is going to dominate the headlines all off season long. And again, we're, we're just in early February. So there's a lot of time here to go. But you look at the situation in Houston where Watson has not even spoken to Nick Cassero. He has not spoken to David Culley. He's clearly angry at the owner, Cal McNair, at Jack Easterby, who is somehow still the still there making decisions um, in the personnel department. So all that is going on. So unless something is resolved there, it's going to heat up as we get closer to free agency on March 17th when the new league year opens, because that is really when teams want to know exactly what's going on. But up until this point, I saw Peter Schrager mention this this morning, everyone who's calling the Texans, the Texans are just hanging up. They're not, they're not listening to anything. They are adamant that they want to keep Watson. Now, as you mentioned, you know, the Jets obviously make a lot of sense. They hired Robert Sala, a head coach who Watson advocated the Texans to interview, and they didn't, which is crazy, especially in a year like this, where you don't have to travel to Sala. You just open up a computer and do a Zoom interview. They didn't even do that. So the Jets have Sala. And the other thing that people are not even mentioning is that the Jets are one of only two teams, because, you know, when it comes to trading draft picks, the most you could trade up to is three years. So the Jets are the only team that can actually offer five, which, of course, 
they probably wouldn't do that. But my point is the Jets and Lions are the only teams who could do that. And you're seeing all these hypothetical trade offers going around on Twitter and social media. There are only four teams who could offer a package of that much. It's the Jaguars, the Lions, the Jets, and the Dolphins. So when you put those teams together, the Jets and the Dolphins, the two teams that really, really would make sense for Watson after the Lions got golf, the Jaguars are probably going to settle on Trevor Lawrence, of course. So it does make a lot of sense, but we got to see where this goes. It's still so early. I know for a fact, Nick Casario and Dave Cully, they want to sit down with the guy. Dave Cully is known as someone who can talk to someone and convince them and get them all in. So if Houston could fix this, fix this up, then I would, I, would, I would expect, obviously, Watson to stay there. And if there's one way of doing that, they got to do what San Francisco did a few years ago. If you remember, when they had the Harbaugh situation and Tom Sula and Jip Kelly, everyone hated their owner, Jed York. He was under a lot of fire. They got to do something where Cal McNair gets out of the way, and the show is being run by Nick Casario. And it's being run by Dave Cully. Get Jack Easterby out of there. Get Callum Kinney out of the way. The only time you see him is when it's time to the AFC Championship game to raise up that trophy. The only time you see the owner is there. Otherwise, Watson's not want to be there. So we got a long way to go, but that's where we are right now. Yeah, or just to kind of follow up on that, um, if you had to do kind of a breakdown of where you expect Watson uh, from a percentage standpoint, if we went Texans, Jets, Dolphins, Panthers and maybe there's a mystery team in there at 49ers, whatever, but those main four teams that seem to be interested um, and have maybe some draft capital to do so, where would you break down? Like what percentage he stays in Houston, maybe goes to the Jets, Dolphins, uh, or, or another team. Right. It's, it, it's a good way of putting it. You know, I, I still feel like Houston, since there's so much time over here, I would give Houston the upper edge at let's say 45%, right? I would probably put the Jets second with let's say 15. That would put you at 60 and then I would put Carolina there at like, you know, a 10, put Miami there at 10 as well, then a bunch of other teams under there. The thing about Carolina is actually very interesting because they really went all out for Matthew Stafford, who's, of course, much older. They offered the number eight pick. They offered um, Teddy Bridgewater, apparently. I saw Schrager mention this morning a future high pick as well, potentially a second or even a first, he said, which I was shocked to see. So they went all in on Stafford. If they went all in on Stafford, who's 32-33, and what, what are they going to offer for Deshaun Watson? So I would keep an eye on Carolina. I think the Jets have the most, the most to offer, of course, number two overall pick. So I would put Jets on um, second there after Houston, but that's how I'd break it down. No, that makes total sense. I think, uh, you know, for Jets fans, obviously they want to hear, uh, oh, 80, 90%, but being realistic, you know, obviously as much as Watson wants out and he's willing to play hardball, things like that, as you mentioned, as, as many others have, um, at the end of the day, it's really hard to have these deals actually happen with the amount of intricacy of picks and cap space and no trade clauses, things like that. But um, I thought you put that pretty well. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit um, into more of current Jets. Um, from, an, from an internal Jets, you know, unrestricted free agency perspective, guys like Marcus May, Brian Poole, Jordan Jenkins, Brashad Perryman, Bradley McDougal, Neville Hewitt, all starters last year in some capacity um, are upcoming free agents. Um, do you see the Jets re-signing all of these guys, none? Like, where do you kind of see those those uh, names landing, especially May, Poole, and um, Hewitt, who are all, you know, played almost 100% of the steps other than Poole getting injured? 
Right, and I'm pretty sure um, Joe Douglas already mentioned that May is going to be a priority this offseason. So I think that's going to be step one there when it comes to guys with the team. I would say Poole is another player they should be bringing back as well. This is a team that, of course, has a lot of cap space. There's a lot of work, a lot to work with over here. And something that Joe Douglas is about is about building, um, obviously building with his own guys. So he's going to try to re-sign the guys who are obviously people who he believes are there for the future. I'm a very big Joe Douglas guy. If you look at my Twitter, I've praised him a lot over the course of the, since he was hired actually. And I don't really put that many opinions out there. So I'm a really big Joe Douglas fan. And I know that he has, that he has a vision for this team, unlike the previous regime that the Jets have had. When you look at the way McCagnan handled things, it was beyond awful. Joe Douglas is going to be patient with this team. Isn't going to do it the right way. There is, a, there is a reason to be excited if you are a Jets fan. There really is because Joe Douglas has a vision and you just got a fantastic head coach in Robert Sala. And now you have the cap space. You have double ones this year. You have double twos, double two, uh, double ones next year as well. You have all this coming in together. The quarterback position is obviously the most important thing they have to figure out. But Joe Douglas is the exact right guy you want running this team right now. And he is doing it the right way, the way a football team is supposed to be built. It's something the Jets have not had in a very long time. When you look at Idzik and McCagnan and all the other guys they've had in the past. So this is exactly what you want. They're going to re-sign the guys they should, like Marcus May. I expect that to probably happen. I know Marcus May wants to be there. So you have all that going on. And then you look into free agency and you look at the receiver pool this year is stacked. You look at the offensive linemen. There are two guards who obviously stick out. The two guys who were franchise tagged last year of Scherf and Tooney. So there's a lot of things that he could do. Obviously, he did not spend last year, and there was a reason for that. He knew they weren't there yet. He has all the capsules ready for this year. I think he will be active this year. He won't overspend the way McCagney did. That's the one thing people have to keep in mind. But if the price is right, he's going to go after them. Yeah, Ari, I think um... – the two names that you gave at the beginning there of Marcus May and Brian Poole um, are two pretty, um, I, I think, guys that the Jets will bring back. Uh, the reasoning why would be Marcus May. Well, the, of course, they don't have Jamal Adams at this point anymore. And right now, uh, the other safeties that the Jets have on the roster uh, include Ashton Davis, who is a third-round draft pick. So the man mm -hmm. is, I think, 21, 22 years old at this point. And, of course, you don't want to give the keys to the secondary to somebody that young. And May being um, a veteran who is, I would say, an above-average player um, and his voice, his opinion on wanting to return to the team is somebody that you'd like to bring back, especially when you have so much cap space. And then Brian Poole for a team that's just so weak in the secondary. Um, if you have a guy uh, that, I, once again, kind of like May, I would say an above-average starter in this league as a slot position uh, with an abundance of cap space, I think you should make it a priority to bring him back. Um, so you covered it um, for a moment there. You kind of touched on our next question that we wanted to ask you. Uh, but what we had down here was, uh, do you want to give us two names you think that the Jets should target in free agency? Yeah, I mean, I think the the common sense here is is you got to look at the receivers, you got to look at pass rushers, obviously. And I mentioned that um, you know, the wide receiver class is stacked this year. We'll see what happens with the franchise tags. But you can go from Allen Robinson and Chris Godwin and Kenny Galladay. I'm not sure they'll go after Juju just because of the other stuff that are going on. I don't think that's a Joe Douglas type of a player, but you can look at Will Fuller, who's actually suspended for the first game of next year. Curtis Samuel is someone who has really um, emerged this past year in Carolina. Um, some of those guys are going to hit the open market. The Jets need a playmaker on offense. So you go after one of those guys, pair him up with Denzel Mims. That's a, that's a pretty good duo for whoever the quarterback is going to be next year. Defensively, pass rushes are available, and probably the most underrated one you got to look at is out of New Orleans. Trey Hendrickson is a beast. He does not get talked about at all. 
He's underappreciated. I believe he had 11 and a half sacks this year. New Orleans is in a very tough cap situation. So he's likely to hit the open market. He is someone who could be targeted. Unique Ngakwe will be a free agent most likely. I don't expect Baltimore to use a franchise tag there. You could look at some guys like Judon and Dupree, who's recovering from the ACL injury. Shaq Barry was going to be playing in the Super Bowl is another one. There are pass rushers available this year, and they need pass rushers there. So I know you mentioned two guys. I mentioned a bunch of different guys at key positions there who will be available for Joe Douglas to go out and get. And considering the cap, which is likely to go down, it might not go to 175 like previously reported, but the Jets have cap. They'll be able to spend, and there are some marquee names available. Normally, we like to ask everybody who they uh, who they like to see a quarterback for the Jets, whether it's uh, keeping Sam and trading down or Fields, Wilson, Lance. Um, you know, barring nothing happening with Deshaun Watson, but um, you know, in ter- in terms of that, like, do you do you have a preference of what you like to see the Jets do? Do you have a, an inkling of what you think they might do? I know there's been no every leak you would hear is either going to be um, they want to boost Sam's trade value or they're trying to boost their position to trade back from two. So, do you have any preference there or uh, what you think might happen? Listen, I'm from New York. I know a lot of Jets fans, okay? They all want Deshaun. You guys know that, right? Of course, that would be probably the preference. What, as someone who's from New York and, and you know, sees a lot of Jets fans and all that, of course, that's what I want to see. I want to see the this, this city buzzing again. It hasn't happened in a long time, right? That's obviously the dream. But if it's not Deshaun, there's something, that, that's something in me that says they'll just keep Darnold just because he fits what the Kyle Shannon offense is. That's the way I look at it. Now, I'm not really sold on Darnold. I'll be honest about that. It kind of shocks me that I think Schefter mentioned that there, he's like a late first-round pick type of a guy they could get from him. I kind of find that hard to believe because he really hasn't shown enough. I know he was in the, in the whole situation with the Jets where the offense doesn't have the pieces and all that, but there's the injury concern. He's the only quarterback from his draft class that actually started from the start, from week one, right, against, against Detroit in his rookie year. So we've seen a lot. But um, there's something in me that says the Shannon offense of the Florida offensive coordinator where they've had the Cousins and the Garoppolo's and Matt Ryan, that it kind of fits what Sam Donald is. So I could see them sticking there, then using the number two pick either on a different position or trade back even more and get more picks as you try to build this roster back. So that's where I feel like it ends up going, but there's such a long way to go. They were, they checked in on Stafford. That's a true thing that happened. It wasn't anything serious, but it does tell you that Joe Douglas is at least checking out what's going on outside the organization. Well, you're a happy man. I'm sure. Yeah. I, look, anyone that's going to agree with me to keep Sam and trade back. I mean, I'm a, I don't know. Obviously, uh, you know, anyone that listens to the podcast knows or follows me on Twitter knows I'm either you either go get Deshaun or you keep Sam and trade back. I know it's probably not in a popular opinion anymore, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm willing to go to war to defend Sam, unfortunately, uh, probably. I'm, cur- I'm curious to know your opinion, though, on the the fifth year option situation, because they got to decide on that as well. So if you're keeping Sam. What are you doing there? It's going to be probably, I mean, we, we don't know how much it's going to be because of how the salary cap is going to be set up, but we're looking in that mid $20 million probably. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. So like realistically, the way I look at it, if you extend him, if you exercise the fifth year option, I think it boosts his trade value. Um, I know some people would say, oh, it's only one, if you could have him on a one year $9 million deal, um, that's more valuable. I actually think the two years to control from like a baseball perspective, I'm a big baseball fan as well. And, it's more appealing to a team that can get two years of reasonable quarterback money control. And if Sam plays well, um, now you have a guy next year in year five, that's a relatively cheap option or at least middle of the road in terms of um, his contract. But obviously it's risky because if you exercise it and you keep him and he doesn't do well, 
now you have a guy that's on an expiring deal. Um, so I, I think you, you extend them. I mean, you exercise that fifth year and it makes him more valuable. And if you're going to trade him, you trade him. And if not, you just roll them year four and five and you kind of have to, or year five, if it doesn't go well, you draft somebody, but I know it's a tough situation. It's tough really because the CBA just changed the whole fifth year option situation. As you guys probably know, the fifth year option, you pick it up, it's guaranteed. In previous years, that thing wasn't guaranteed unless it was for injury. So that's where it becomes kind of complicated there. But, you know, we've got some time over here. But I, I'm, I have this feeling that we'll know the, where the Jets are going um, with Deshaun probably by March 17th. They, they got to figure that out early. <clears throat> yeah, there's that roster bonus, right, that kicks in for – this dead cap bonus kicks in with the Texans. I think it's – like if they trade them pre-June 1st, but obviously they're not going to trade them post-draft. It's – like, isn't it like to go from $21 million that they don't have to pay him to all of a sudden they have to pay him $15 million on the cap? And, like, they already paid him his bonus. It's a mess. I don't really think it's, it's about the contract. It's more of teams want to know where they're going. In other words, other teams that are interested, are we going all in on free agency? Are we going to hold back to fit Deshaun in? There's, there's, there's other aspects of it as well. But, yeah, there, there are some stuff of Deshaun's contract as well that kick in at the start of the new league, the new league year. That is correct. So, Ari, before we, uh, we wrap things up, since we've been on the discussion of Sam Darnold staying in New York uh, and what that would entail, let's just say the situation presents itself where he doesn't um, and the Jets don't get Deshaun Watson and they're stuck with the position at number two um, where they're either going to take Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. At this point in time, do you have a preference between those two quarterbacks? You know, I, I do my deep dive into the draft after the Super Bowl is over. That's the way I, that's the way I usually do it. But, um, you know, I obviously look at what other people, other draft experts that I, you know, personally trust, like a Schrager, like a Jeremiah, those type of people. And I've actually seen both ways with both of them. I saw, I'm pretty sure Schrager mentioned Wilson. I think um, Jeremiah mentioned um, Fields. But overall, it just, it's so early where right now in February, obviously teams are doing all the research. They've been doing this for months, obviously, right? But it's, I feel like it's a little bit too early to make that, decision off the bat over here so this thing as you as you guys probably know already it goes all the way down to the final minute of the draft I heard Jay Glazer once say a story that I forgot who it was I believe it was Dallas at number four a few years ago when they picked Zeke they were going back and forth the day of on Zeke or Jalen Ramsey until they were on the clock so these things sometimes go all the way down to the final minute I don't think it's like that for quarterbacks but we'll see there's a lot of time over here they probably, made, right. they probably made the wrong decision with Zeke, huh? Jalen Rams would have been nice to have a top two corner instead of having a uh, incredibly overpaid and overweight running back behind an aging offensive line. Yeah, I mean, listen, they, they they were good for that one year, and if you win the Super Bowl with Zeke in the back in the backfield, I mean, come on, I mean, it ends up being worth it, right? But giving that six year, ninety million dollar contract that probably does hurt at this point in time. But um, yeah, they might want to take that one back. You're probably right. All right, Ari, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you can follow Ari at My Sports Update on Twitter. You can also make sure to check out his, his um, podcast at MSU NFL Podcast. Um, but Ari, we really appreciate having you. Uh, it was a great talk, and we're excited to see what happens in the future. All right, I appreciate you guys having me on. Matt, well, keep it up. And as always, it's going to be a wild offseason, especially down there at the Jets. So all the best, guys. Thank you. So that was Ari Mayrov, a great interview from Ari. Um, we talked a little bit about in-house free agents with him, and we, we think we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that um, now. So some of the free agents that uh, – unrestricted free agents that were a Jet last year that the Jets are looking to either re-sign or not bring back could be Brian Poole, Marcus May, 
Neville Hewitt, Jordan Jenkins, the list goes on. Um, the names, and you heard me say previously, I'd like to see back uh, on the top of the list would be uh, Marcus May and Brian Poole. Um, and, I'll, and I'll say quickly, one of the names that I, I think I'd be okay with the Jets moving on from would be Jordan Jenkins specifically. Um, I was saying that last offseason as well. Uh, Will, what do you think about these guys? Yeah, so it's all going to come down to what these guys are looking for. I think anyone outside of maybe McDougal, Perryman, I don't think I see those guys coming back in any way, shape, or form. Both were incredibly underwhelming. They're going to be looking for, um, you know, a new spot to latch on to. So I think you, you kind of get rid of those guys. Jordan Jenkins is an interesting one because had a career year, I think eight and a half sacks in 2019, played really well, got no interest in the free agency market. Came back to the Jets at a reduced one-year $5 million deal and then, quite frankly, was terrible this year. Um, you know, I know he played through a lot of injuries. He's a really tough guy. He's been a, he's been a you know, a Jet played it out of his, con- you know, basically got a second contract technically. So I understand the attachment to New York, but unless something's going to change in the, in a 4-3, which it does not fit him, uh, I just don't see that him coming back. For Poole and May, I think they're the most interesting of the bunch. I think Hewitt will be back probably two-year, $10 million deal, something in that range. He's serviceable. You have no idea what you're getting with C.J. Mosley. So you bring Hewitt back. Poole and May, I would say Poole comes back at maybe a three-year, uh, three for 21, three for 20, maybe like 10 mil guaranteed, probably a prorated bonus if he's on the roster uh, post-year two. I, I think he's a really serviceable slot corner. I think he's actually – a lot better than he played in the beginning of 2020. He played really great out really well with PFF. Um, 2019, slot corners are tough to find that are, like, you know, really good. His issue has been he's been hurt both years. Um, he was hurt in Atlanta a lot. So if you can get him back on a 5 to $7 million a year average annual value contract, um, maybe between two and four years, ideally, I'd like to see a three-year deal. I think it fits him properly. I think that's what you do there. And then when it comes to Marcus May, he's – He's tough because he's a guy that's very talented. He's a leader in the locker room. He's somebody that's been here. He's a second-round pick. I think all fans mostly want to see him back. I know there's some kind of back and forth, but generally people want to see him back. He's been really likable. He made a lot of splash plays, the Seattle interception, the Miami interception, played great against the Bills that first week, caused a couple turnovers. So you see him and you want to have him back. It's all going to be about what he's looking to get paid. I would say – on the high end, if the Jets – he's going to be going into his age 28 season, so entering the back half of his prime. And he, but he has played – as much as he's been nicked up, he's played almost – I think four of the five seasons he's played uh, all uh, 16 games. So I would say if you're looking at it, the high end, he might get a five-year deal from the Jets, and they might push out um, – all like front load the guaranteed money so that way – Similar to if Jets fans remember guys like Eric Decker, even the Le'Veon Bell contract, which obviously was a disaster, but um, or even Crowder, a lot of these guys in free agency will get their money front loaded. So that way, once it's the guaranteed money's up, even though it sounds like a lot of money, um, they will actually you know usually get cut after two to three years. So I would look for Marcus May either on maybe a longer term five year forty five million ish dollar deal, uh, nine million dollars a year average annual value. It's a lot cheaper than paying Jamal Adams $22 million a year, which, you know, what he was looking for. And on the shorter side, maybe a three-year, $33 million deal. I would say looking for guaranteed money, look between maybe 18 to $30 million guaranteed, depending on the length of the deal. Um, that puts him around, uh, you know, above average, um, one step below Pro Bowl level safety. So I think from a cap perspective, 
Obviously, all these guys are affordable. I would look at May on the most expensive deal. Brian Poole, one step below. And then if a Jenkins or a Hewitt come back, it'll be on a shorter term um, between 3 and $5 million average annual value. So make sure, again, I know I'm kind of educating a little bit, try to educate a little bit. Try not to pay attention as a, as a fan to the, like the total number. It's not like base, baseball or the NBA where the contract's guaranteed and they will get that money no matter what. Um, you know, you look at a guy, if they get a five-year, $100 million deal and only $60 million is guaranteed, usually that money's front-loaded, so that way the team could get out of the contract. So just fans going to free agency, just make sure you understand when you look at it how the contract's broken down an average annual value of how much they're getting paid per year does matter, but it matters how much guaranteed money they're getting because at the end of the day, the way the NFL works, once that guaranteed money's up, or at least there's very little left, there's a good chance you're either getting cut or it's getting restructured. So how do you feel about that, Matt? Yeah, I mean, even to a smaller degree, if you were to look at, let's even say George Font, who um, this would be the second year of his two-year contract. Um, and that was front-loaded as well. So I think he made $9 million in his first year. And that gave the Jets the opportunity to, if they wanted to back out uh, this year, they could. And who knows what they do with that. He was serviceable. He wasn't as bad as some people thought he might be. But uh, he was injured as well. So we'll see what happens there. But that's kind of what you see with those contracts when they're front-loaded. With Jordan Jenkins, you mentioned the career year. Um, and, and I agree with that. And I'm sure you, you know a lot of those sacks, if you were to go back and look, were kind of coverage sacks or touching the QB when he was down. I'm not kind of talk I'm not talking down on what he did but um, I'm just completely okay with that uh, the Jets moving on from him at this point Neville Hewitt is jacked he's the strongest looking man I've ever seen on the football field um, he's not good in coverage but he is uh, he gives life to the defense I'll tell you that um, he is good in the run game and uh, you know, if it's affordable bring Neville Hewitt back and then to get to the Perriman experiment it was a one-year experiment um, obviously it didn't look good when Robbie balled out in Carolina, uh, and Perriman looked like the ball would just bounce off his hands whenever the ball was thrown to him. But, uh, that was a one-year experiment. The Jets will probably move on from that, um, at the end of this year or the year is over. They'll move on to him before, move on from him before next year. Um, but Will, I know that there's something you want to talk about. Uh, I'm going to give you the floor if you want to, um, preview it. So you could go ahead. Yeah, so um, something pretty cool we're going to be doing um, with Turn on the Jets, so me specifically, and Matt's going to be kind of working with me a little bit on this, is we're going to be doing the last 25 years of the Jets, their kind of last quarter century uh, team. So they have an all-decade or all-time team. We're going to preview the last 25 years. Um, I'm 26 years old. First game I went to is 1998, which might seem crazy, but that's how sick in the head I am with the Jets. Uh, I've been going to training camp since I was five years old. Um, and it's been whatever, so... I have a very um, long amount of names and lists that uh, guys I've watched played. Um, so I, we're going to preview, basically, we're going to release each week. Um, we're going to release one position group. Uh, we're going to have, have an article up on the site, and then I'm going to talk through it a little bit in the podcast, and, and Matt's going to kind of bounce some ideas of names that didn't either make the, you know, didn't make the team um, that he would have liked to see on there. Some of his favorite guys to watch a position we will kind of go back and forth. So it should be really exciting. Make sure to watch out for that. Again, it'll be each week we'll release a position group. Um, we'll even get into coach, GM, favorite owner. Um, you know, I think we all uh, – there's been three owners technically in the in the time frame or acting owners between Leon Hess, um, Woody, and then Chris Johnson. You have multitude of GMs, head coaches. There's a million. We'll, we'll break it all down. So it'll be pretty fun. We'll even get into kick returner, long snapper. You know, we'll make it fun for the fans, and um, we'll go position by position. But first position we're going to be releasing 
uh, you know, next week before the Friday podcast is going to be running back. Um, it's a position that the Jets have been pretty loaded at, to be honest with you, in the last 25 years. Um, there's obviously the front runner that's most likely going to be, not to, you know, give it away, but Curtis Martin's a, a Hall of Fame running back, and he's probably arguably the Jets' best ever player. So, uh, you know, he's most likely going to be – you'll most likely be seeing him on, in the article. But from a non-Curtis Martin perspective, Matt, who are you looking forward to uh, potentially hearing about or looking forward to talking about from a running back position in the last 25 years? Yeah, like you said, you're 26. I'm 23, so I about cover that 25-year span. So I'll, I'll have um, a pretty wide grasp on players over those years as I've been following the team since I was a little, a little kid, as long as I can remember as well. Um, there's plenty of sleepers in there too. It's just fun to think back and think of these names. Uh, over that time span, you know, Thomas Jones had that unbelievable season where I think he had 15 rushing touchdowns. Um, you look at guys that were never top five when they were playing, but they had long careers as a Jets. So you would have to throw them in there when you're talking, even Leon Washington, you're talking, I would even, you know, say Bilal Powell just because of how many seasons he spent as a Jet. Uh, but there's just so many fun names. I can't wait to see what you draw up I'll bounce some names off you but I think it's a great idea and the uh, followers of the podcast are gonna love it too yeah no it'd be interesting you, you don't re- I don't think fans will they might realize but not you know I put a poll up earlier this week their favorite non 98 or 09 and 2010 teams just the teams that made it the farthest and um, you know I'm just looking back when I was a kid going to training camp meeting all these guys like I, I forgot some of the people I didn't forget them but I just didn't I maybe didn't realize how good they were comparatively and how good we had it you know, as a as a young kid, most of the years the Jets were either at least above 500 or in the playoffs. Um, so, you know, each week I'm going to be we're going to be putting out a poll of just who you you know some guys or try to interact with some of the fans and and see what people they can think of in each position group. But yeah, running back will be coming out this week to keep you know be on the lookout for that. And then uh, you know obviously make sure to you know continue to tune into the podcast, tune into Badlands. You know you know follow Joe and, and Connor's podcast as well as draft season from the turn on the Jets feed and all the articles. So. There's a lot going on. We have an exciting offseason coming up. Everyone, you know, enjoy the Super Bowl. Matt, who do you like this weekend, and what's one sleeper to win MVP not named Brady or Mahomes? Uh, Chiefs. <laughs> That's all I need to say. I definitely think the Chiefs got it this weekend. And a sleeper not named uh, Mahomes, since I think the Chiefs will win. Um, I'm going to go outside the box here and just say Sammy Watkins. I could see Buccaneers game planning around um, Tyreek Hill, game planning around um, Travis Kelsey. And I'm not a big fan of their running game. So we'll see how, how you know, they, that turns out. But I'm going to say Sammy Watkins. I don't know why. I just see a big game coming from him. He had a great Super Bowl last year. That's what happened. They tried to double Hill and, Walk- and Hill and Kelsey and him and Damian Williams. I think Damian Williams could have won MVP of that game, to be honest with you. I don't think he Williams probably should have. Yeah, he probably should have. He probably should have. But, yeah, I'm, I've never rooted harder for the Chiefs in my whole life. I hate Tom Brady. I want nothing to do with them winning another Super Bowl. They had no business winning last week. Whatever. I don't want to get into my feeling hatred of Tom Brady. But I, I think Chiefs Chiefs 35, uh, in Bucks 23. I think the only way that another person wins Super Bowl MVP is the Chiefs and Bucks. There's no winner because uh, there's very often – it's very rare that, you know, it's a defensive player or a position player because if Travis Kelsey has four touchdowns, it means Mahomes has at least four. So – Dark horse. I like your Sammy Watkins pick. I think he played really well last year. I think Travis Kelsey is not a dark horse, but you know, I, I can see them after the Tyree kills, like I think it's seven for two Oh five and two or three touchdowns in the first quarter. Last time they played week six. Um, I, I can see Travis Kelsey having a 12 for 
214 and three touchdowns and, and being an absolute menace defensively. Tyra Matthew is always an option. I would look at Shaq Barrett or JPP, somebody like that, that you know, or, Dev, or Devin White that can cause turnovers, make plays. But it'll be an exciting weekend from a Super Bowl perspective. Like I said, again, make sure you look out from all the stuff on the Turn on the Jets feed and continue to follow our podcast, um, share, rate, review, and then follow us on Twitter, me, uh, at WillPaul11, Matt, at Jets Opinion, and uh, make sure to tune in and, and take care, and uh, you know, we'll see you next Friday. See you next week.